Hey everyone, this is Siobhan and I'm your host of the Creative Outsiders Talk Show, where we connect the dots for storytellers. I'm super excited. I get to sit and chat with Erica Williams-Simon. Erica is an award-winning writer, host, educator, and entrepreneur. As the founder and former head of Snapchat's Creators Lab, her work is focused on creating conversations that help a diverse digital native generation uncover wisdom and tell new stories about who we are and how we want to live. Erica's work incorporates elements of her multi-industry career at the highest level of media, social impact, tech, and religion to develop, innovate, transformative programming for people and brands looking to change the world. She is now the CEO of Sage House, a content experience and consulting company that elevates countercultural wisdom for life and work. Let's welcome Erica onto the show. Hi. Hi. I'm excited. I'm excited too. <laughs> we were sitting before we jumped on and I was like, we've never met in real life, even though it feels like it. Yeah, I really <laughs> thought we had met at some point, but I think it's just DMs, DMs. DMs, listen, I tell everybody I jump in people's DMs with no shame. I love it. I love it. I gotta do it. So I, I did want to start off with the traditional, like, who's Erica? Um, because your bio is bomb. Like, I oh. had to cut it down. <laughs> I hear someone read your own bio. <laughs> I had to cut it down because you've done some amazing work. But one thing that I'm really interested in or that's on the top of my list is pivoting. Because we have gone through the pandemic and, you know, we're still, like, trying to maneuver that. And a lot of people had to pivot during that time. But you have pivoted from being in the industry of civic engagement and policy programs to media. Yeah. Why the pivot? Why the change? Uh, I mean, so I've, I've pivoted a couple times in my mm -hmm. career, largely because, you know, I think we live in a culture that asks us to define ourselves by a what, like, what do you do? What mm -hmm. are you? And um, I've always been led by and defined myself by a why. Like, what, what is my, why, why am I doing what I do? Why do I work? Do I have a, a mission? If I have a mission, then I can kind of move wherever I want to go to meet and fulfill that mission. And I, I, I never put myself in an industry box um, or even a skill set box, right? Uh, so for me, I've always been really clear. It took some time to figure out how to articulate the, the nice, pretty bio you have now. But I've always had a deep sense of mission uh, and purpose, being that I really want to help people um, reimagine uh, who they are and how they live and how they engage with the world. I've always been clear that uh, I'm a storyteller and that I believe in the power of narrative to help change lives and change the world. Um, I've always been clear that all of my work is grounded in, in wisdom and faith um, much more than it is related to trends or industries. And so when I had that, uh, I was clear after a certain point for me that politics didn't feel like a natural fit. There were things that I was good at doing. I had managed to kind of navigate a system in Washington because I'm born and raised in the, in the DMV. So it felt very natural for me to go into that field, especially as someone who has a big voice and as a communicator and um, like a, just a deep sense of, of justice and all of that. It felt natural to go into that career when I first came out of school um, and I did it and I did, did it well. 
But it didn't feel right for me after a while. I said, okay, this is one way to impact people's lives. But I'm a church kid. I'm a preacher's kid. So I'm like, there's- Me too. Really? I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm a PK. So for me, it just always felt a little bit lacking. Like, yes, I believe that systems and structures have to change, need to change. And that's what politics and social impact work is there for. But I also recognize none of that would change if people's hearts and minds weren't changed. And I didn't feel like politics was the best way to do that. Um, so I used this talents and the skills and the gifts that God gave me to say, what else can I do with that? And I took a journey. I didn't know, I didn't leave politics with a specific job in mind. Um, but again, I knew the kind of impact I wanted to have and I let that lead me. So you said so many loaded things and I'm, look, I'm gonna pivot from my questions that I had, but okay. I think it's interesting. So one thing I wanted to ask you, how did you figure out what your mission was? Is that Was that a part of the journey or did you have bits and pieces? Yeah, it was part of the journey, but I did have bits and pieces. So I, I knew a couple things. I knew, um, I knew my gifts and talents. I was clear about what they were. Uh, largely because when you look at your life, you can see little cues. I think, who calls them like little God winks? Like you can yeah. see these little um, hints about what, where you uh, come alive, right? What, what are the activities that you're doing when you're coming alive? What is the impact that you have when you do X, Y, and Z, whatever it is that you do? And where does it resonate? Where does it feel right to you? So I knew that communication and storytelling and messages of empowerment and inspiration, I knew that was a part of who I was. Um, and I knew that I wanted to help people live better. I kind of had that, but that's vague, right? That doesn't point you towards a job specifically. Right. Um, so what I did was, and I always encourage people, especially younger people when they're trying to figure out what in the world they do, but frankly, it's for all of us, no matter what age we are when we're trying to figure it out, is there's going to be some experimentation. Absolutely. There's going to be like, let me try this and see, see how it fits. Um, let me try this and see. So I worked in tech. I worked at Snapchat and that wasn't even a job I was looking for. Um, a former colleague approached me and said, you'd be perfect for this. Would you come? At that time, I had been working independently for a little while and I was not planning on going back to a nine to five. <laughs> and they were like, no, it'd be perfect for you. And you can't pass this up. And it's a great company. So I said, OK. And I got there and the job that they hired me for was not a good fit. I didn't like it at all. And so I pitched something else and built a program there that felt a little bit more like my mission, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then eventually recognized that for me, and this is just me, um, it's gonna be very hard to fit that mission into an inside an institution that has its right. own mission, right? Um, so I decided that it was best for me to go independent. But the point is I had to experiment. You have to try different things before you, you figure things out. And that's so good. I, I wanna ask you, cause I think it's so amazing that you said you pitched while you were there because you saw that it wasn't a good fit. So what gave you, cause a lot of people ask me like, why do I do, or why do I take the leap? Like what skill did you already have that empowered you to say, I need to pitch instead of just staying there and being miserable? Cause we do that. Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> we do that. What you have to have, and this is some people have this innately for some people, it takes effort to build this over time, but you have to have a sense of your own value. And I know that sounds very cliche and it sounds like a lot of self-help, but if you know that you are an asset, no matter where you are, 
then the task becomes, so how do I maximize what I am and what I bring to the table here in this space? So there was never a moment, even when it didn't feel like a good fit. And even when I was like, I don't like this and this isn't working and I'm not doing my best work. Even in that moment, there was never a time where I felt like, ah, they know better than me. This just must not be good for me or I'm not good enough. Or man, this is just so sad and so depressing that I just, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Never that, never that, because I always know my value. I can quickly assess if something is a right fit for me, but then my next go-to is, so how can I make it a better fit? And you know, sometimes you can't, that's fine. Sometimes they'll say no, or you'll say no, or you decide the environment is too toxic, or it's not what you want to do. Um, but I always encourage people before giving up on a particular environment, especially an environment where there is something that you can stand to learn or gain, Right. Try to figure out how can you make it work before leaving. Um, and that's just a, it's a proactive thing, but it really does come from being rooted in a sense of your own value and worth mm -hmm. and knowing um, that anyone, any company, I don't care how big, I don't care how impressive, anyone is lucky to have you if you know that you do good work. Absolutely. So let's I, I want to circle back a little bit because you said something about um, knowing, well, knowing our value, but also not being attached to what we do. Nope. So I recognize that a lot of people struggle with their identity. And I wanted to ask you, like, how did you become comfortable or recognize your identity, like who you are, and that it doesn't, it's not defined by what you do? Like, yeah. was that a process? Um, do you think that's attached to your faith? Because I see that a lot of people struggle with like, if I'm not doing this, then I don't know who I am. Mm -hmm. So there's two answers to that. One is absolutely faith, right? So both I was raised to believe and also continued in my own faith journey to constantly reinforce the messages of I know who I've been created to be. I know that I'm a child of God. I know, right? Like I'm big on, I'm actually later this year releasing an affirmations journal because I, I am big on constantly. I love your, your, what you do, your journal. Yeah, I, I do it. I write them over and over again um, to remind me who I know that I am, right? Who I've been created to be. So one is definitely grounded in faith. The second is actually a really practical tip. Um, one thing that I felt early on in my career, even when I first came out of school, frankly, even before I was out of school, because I, I worked full time while I was in college, even in undergrad, um, I've always done multiple things so that I never felt like my entire self was wrapped up in one place. So I was an assistant when I first got out of college. I was an assistant at a large civil rights organization. When I tell you, I didn't know what I was doing. I was a quick learner, but I didn't know what I was doing. I was figuring it out. Um, so that was my nine to five. And yet I was an assistant at that job. But separate from that, I was still out in my community doing speaking engagements. I was still mentoring. I was still um, writing. I was still doing other things so that my whole identity didn't come from did I do well today at my job? Um, the, and the reason I emphasize that is because along the way, there will be periods when the job isn't what you want it to be. Right. Um, when you don't see your full self reflected back to you in, in your nine to five. And that's okay. I always encourage people, so have other avenues where you are able to express yourself, where you are able to engage with people who do see you. 
um, th those two things, my faith, and then always having my hand in multiple things allowed me to kind of, even if I was getting a negative message back from one place, I could right. say, wait a minute, mm, that's not true. Cause I know who I am. I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. I think that's good though. And that's always been a skill that I've had that I've, I do all the things like, yeah. cause my undergrad is in counseling. My master's is in screenwriting. So wow. I'm like, if it, you know, I'll try this. I was yes. a blogger. I used to own a boutique. So it's like, I am not defined by the things that I do, but it is very missional. That It's always about empowering. It's always about telling really good stories. And it's always about um, people's hearts being healed. Yeah. So they, they connect it. So I want to ask you this because I saw you actually posted and it's also, I believe in your book. And I was like, I did Google and everything like, I need to know more about this narrative intelligence. Yes. Tell me what that is. Help us out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so the book you're talking about, I have right here. It's this, this is my book. You deserve the truth. Yes. Um, and it's all about putting the power of story back into the hands of people, understanding how story can help us create change in our lives and in the world around us. And so the skill that I, I teach to, to do that. Um, is narrative intelligence. And narrative intelligence is exactly what it sounds like. It's an awareness of how narrative is shaping our lives, our choices, and the world around us. We are taught um, IQ, right? We're taught to be book smart. Um, and some of us are taught EQ. We're taught emotional intelligence, how to understand people. But we are never actually taught to be able to see the stories that shape everything that we do, everything that we believe, right? So we come up in this world and we hit a certain point in our lives where we assume that's just how things are, or that's just how the world works, or that's just who I am. Um, and we make choices based on those beliefs and those assumptions. All of them are stories. All of them are stories that have come from somewhere, whether they, they are cultural narratives, right? Society and the culture we live in has created these stories, or they are firsthand stories, stories that we developed in our mind based on experiences that we have, stories that we heard, stories that we consumed, right? From popular culture or from social media. Um, you know, I think about it a lot. I worked at Snapchat. Snapchat created the format now that we know it on every platform, which is the vertical storytelling format called stories. So now of course, Instagram has stories and Facebook and Twitter, everybody has stories. Um, but Snapchat was the first one to do that vertical storytelling format. And I use that always as an example because Snapchat didn't create a new way of living in the world. They simply created a new frame for how we tell that story. And that's what narrative intelligence allows us to do. It allows us to see the frame um, and when you can recognize it, then you can begin to ask yourself questions. Is that belief that I have about myself true? Or is that belief that I have about work? I use hustle and grind culture as an example, right? Like I gotta work all the time. Work is my value, work is my identity. Well, wait a minute, if I recognize that that is a story, I have the choice whether or not to agree with that story or disagree with that story. Does it align with my values or does it clash? Um, so I just always encourage people to, to start paying attention to that, to start asking why before you do anything. Why do you think that? Why do you believe that? And usually at the heart, you'll find a story that wasn't created with your best interest in mind. Truth. And I think that um, and even with you saying about Snapchat, that they created that first and then we see like it 
being um, duplicated on all platforms. Mm-hmm. I think that we don't um, we don't challenge it. We don't challenge what we we take in as stories uh, because we're very consumer based. We don't think what I, I say to the team and everybody that I talk to, we don't think like producers. We think mm. like consumers and that's very passive. It doesn't require you to do anything but scroll. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then we do accept it as truth. And then we operate our life that way. We operate our relationships that way. So I think that that's uh, so important that people do need to um, have narrative in, um, intelligence. And I'm glad that's something that you are like telling people to pay attention to. So we don't just accept everything as our truth. Yeah. Um, and that we do start to challenge things. But before I keep going on, we're going to take a quick commercial break and we will be right back. Ever wish you had a devotional that was written specifically for entrepreneurs and in a voice you can relate to? Well, now you do. Big Idea Food, the best selling devotional for entrepreneurs and creatives is exactly what you've been needing to feed your entrepreneurial soul. This devotional will help you push past fears, build more time with God into your daily routine, and gain clarity on your next steps so you can build the business you know you were called to build. Big Idea Food is now on sale at BigIdeaFood.com. Get your copy today and remember, eat more, fear less. Welcome back to The Creative Outsiders. We are speaking with award-winning writer, host, educator, and entrepreneur, Erica Williams-Simon, As we continue our conversation, I want to ask you, so what do we do to help shape the stories? Um, Because it's so much noise on in media, social social media, everywhere. Somebody is saying something. So how do we do a better job of shaping the stories that we're telling or the ones that we're receiving? Yeah. Um, First, I say you have to silence the noise. I'm I'm glad that you said there's so much noise because this is. I mean, there's an unprecedented level of content that we consume as a generation, right? Like truly never before has there been this much content um, around us being projected to us at all times. So the first is you actually do have to quiet the noise, especially as a creator or a creative. You cannot be in consumption mode all the time. There are times when you have to put the phone down, when you have to log out. And you have to turn everything off. I mean, I've really been doing this practice, which is not that radical, but it's hard to do of like trying to do only one thing at a time, not multiple, not (laughs) while I'm eating, while I'm talking, while I'm typing, just as an exercise. And I was shocked by how difficult it was for me to do anything without content playing in the background. Um, So one thing you have to do is just quiet, spend some time in silence and solitude and prayer and, you know, every day. I encourage everyone to do that. Um, And then the second is you have to be discerning and selective. We all call ourselves curators online because it sounds cool, but are you curating your life, sis? Are you curating the content that you consume? Um, And so that means you have to actually make intelligent choices about what you choose to see, what you choose to listen to. And I think about, you know, what our parents taught us when we were kids growing up in church was, oh, be careful little eyes, what you see. Oh, right. Little songs that sound cute and silly, but when you get older, you're like, oh, nah, I really do need to be careful what I, I take in. 
Yeah. Um, and then beyond that, know yourself and your values. Really understand what it is that you believe about and, and you know, identify a couple key set of issues that shape your life. What do I believe about work? What do I believe about my own identity? What do mm -hmm. I believe about money? What do mm -hmm. I believe about um, you know, relationships? So that you can begin to start evaluating the stories that you consume against what you believe and be aware whether they clash, whether they're pulling you in a direction that you're not comfortable with. Um, and then the, the last thing I'll say is just general awareness. So yeah. you have to reflect. You have to reflect on your days, your weeks, your months, your life to see how how am I behaving according to what I think my mission is or according to what my intention was for this year. And if I'm not, if I, if I feel like I'm going in the wrong direction, what did I consume that pulled me away? I guarantee you, you can always find consumption at the heart of so many missteps. And I'm not talking about things that happen that are outside of our control, but when it's, oh, I've been making not the wisest choices or I've been procrastinating or I guarantee if you trace it back, you'll find some level of consumption fueling that behavior that didn't benefit you. So those are the tips that I have for that. That's really good. And, and I think that it, it goes back to being intentional because we just do things just to do them. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to try it because I'm the queen of multitasking. I always am like, oh, I can do all of these things. I'm going to try it. I'll, I'll inbox you and let you know if I survive. <laughs> I'll let you know if I survive. So I want to shift a little bit and talk about Sage House um, mm -hmm. because there are going to be a lot of people who are listening, tuning in that want to be able to uh, be in media, who want to be producers more than consumers. And I think there's a lot of time a disservice because we see people online and we're like, I want what they have, but we don't know what it takes to build. So why Sage House and what does it look like to build it? Girl. <laughs> <laughs> Entrepreneurship is not sexy. It's As all sex, tell the people. <laughs> it's not, it's not. Like, yes, freedom is, is sexy. Like, you know, feeling the power of controlling your day. Sure, all of that. There, there are obviously benefits to it. Or I wouldn't be doing it. And all of us right. who are wouldn't be doing it. But if you are doing it because you think it will be a certain way, it, no, <laughs> it's not cute. It's it is hard. It is around the clock. It is, um, yes, there are victories, but there are also rejections. There are also closed doors. There's also things that you just knew you thought were going to happen that don't happen. Um, all of that is a part of the journey of building something. You build something, or at least I decided to build something after years of building things for other people. Um, after years of being able to evaluate myself in different environments and see where where do I thrive, where can I actually realize my mission most? It was intentional. It had nothing to do with ego. It had nothing to do with wanting to call myself an entrepreneur, um, and it had everything to do with the mission and with knowing myself and kind of where where I am in my life. Um, I also I have done this now. Um, officially two different times in my career, gone out on my own. And the first time, which I write about in the book was one of those, I'm leaping with no plan. And I thank God, right, that I was okay. And that he just kept yes. providing, 
whatever. This second time, I did not leave. I did not go out on my own until I knew that I had a level of security, relationships, um, business, projects, opportunities, where I felt like, okay, this is this is a thing. This is a thing now. And I get to um I get to be discerning about what I call it and how I shape it. But it was a thing that kind of uh grew out of seeds that I had planted years ago. Um but it's 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 so it's beautiful in that sense. Um Sage House is basically the way that I elevate countercultural wisdom in the world. And so I do projects with partners um, that are disrupting harmful narratives because, you know, story and narrative is something that's really important to me. Yeah. Um, looks at the future, radical future of work, disrupting harmful narratives, and how do we honor um, faith and sacredness in a modern world? Those are the kind of three pillars of the company. And so we do everything from advising organizations um, like foundations and companies um, to creating workshops, to creating content, which is where my heart really is, is the mm -hmm. content creation and storytelling. Um, and so all of it is work that I've done on my own in the past and now can actually say, okay, we have a full-fledged company. It is more than just me now, um, but it's, it's hard work and it is constantly evolving. And that's good. Uh, I like that you were honest because I think that what happens on social media, we see the wins and nobody says, like you said, it's around the clock. Yeah. Um, I went on vacation a couple of days ago and my best friend was like, please like just take a day and like don't go on your email. And I was like, okay. But in my mind the whole time I was like, but wait, am I missing something? Like, yeah. am I like, is it something that needs to be going on? So I think that it, I think that's why it's important to, um, for storytellers, creators, producers to be honest about like what the journey looks like, what the middle looks like, what it likes to be a business owner. And then even the thing that people don't talk about, what does it look like to run a team? So how was that experience for you? So it's good for me now, because largely because throughout my career, I've, I've managed teams. Okay. And so I, I, there have been times in my career where I manage a team. And when I tell you, I had no idea what I was doing. Like I was 25 with a team of 30 people. If any of y'all watching, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> know what doing, right? um, management and leadership, it's a real skill and you have yeah. to learn. Um, and I'm an introvert and I can, you know, do the song and dance and be on stage and do all that <laughs> stuff. But in my personal life, I'm actually very introverted. Mm -hmm. And so it took a lot for me to actually recognize you can't do everything by yourself. Yeah. You just cannot do everything by yourself. And the longer you try, this was kind of the big epiphany for me in the past two years, was the longer you try to do things by yourself, um, the more you hold yourself back. There comes a point where you actually have to engage other people and yeah. you have to delegate. And that means releasing control of some things. And so that's an emotional journey you have to go on to be able to release control and say, I'm trusting other people. And sometimes they will exceed your expectations and sometimes they will let you down because that's just humans, right? right? So there's that part of the work, which is learning to let go. Um, there's also the part of work, the, the work that is recognizing you are a leader. You, you, you do know enough. You know something. You know th enough to allow people to follow you. And that's, that's hard because now we're in this culture where to follow basically just means to press a button and all you got to do is look cute. 
Now, right. In real life, leadership costs you something. Listen. <laughs> it's not easy. It's not easy. And especially if you're trying to lead with integrity, yeah. especially if you are leading, um, you know, sometimes if you're leading people who are younger than you, who may be looking up to you and you want to make sure that you're being a good example, but also being transparent, there's all these considerations. Um, so I say pray it up <laughs> and it's working. Facts. Facts. So what is, and well, what stories are important for you to tell right now? Like what stories do you need to see in media that you want to be a part of telling? Ooh, that's a good question, Siobhan. Um, so I'm really interested right now in the story of faith, how it's told. Mm. What does it look like to be um, a person of faith? What does it look like to live a countercultural life and still be successful? And you know, the stories that have been told about faith and about religion, not great. Not right. great. Listen. <laughs> and, yeah, and I'm not just talking about yes, yes, there's a genre of stories. Right. Like there's the, you know, I love me some TV Jakes, there's the, you know, like the, the Christian movies, and I think that's important too. But right. I'm also just talking about in general when in in stories that are not faith based, how do we see faith represented? How do we see people who um, who honor God and who honor Spirit and who think about these things and talk about these things? And what does that look like in in every aspect of life? Whether we talk about whether you're talking about politics or pop culture or entertainment, and you're you're seeing it a bit more now. Like you're seeing yeah. artists starting to come out and say, "I'm this, but I'm also that." I'm, mm -hmm. you know, I'm a this, but I'm also a person of faith, but I'm also a believer. And, and I think it's just really interesting to see how that pendulum swings over time where, right. you know, I'm an OG millennial, so I'm on the older end, but <laughs> 10, 10 years ago, 50 years ago, like it wasn't cool to talk about faith. It wasn't no. cool to say, you you know, you went to church or anything like that. And right. now I feel like we're getting back to a, a level where it's like, okay, it's, I understand it. I may not be, I may not be down with it, but like it, Okay, tell me more, a little bit more about that. Um, right. So, so that's one of the stories I'm really interested in, in telling. Literally, is one of, I want to make a, a television show about that at some point. But um, yeah, I think that's my my number one right now. And I, I think that's good um, because that's the space uh, that I've been having the conversations about online. It's just that my faith doesn't leave me because I want to do a cooking show. Or because I want to show healthy families. Yeah. It, it's present there because it's ingrained in who I am. It's ingrained in my belief. And I think that the thing that I'm hoping for in the space of this, like faith, that um, as a community, we don't push back because it doesn't look like yeah. faith based movies. Um, and that we recognize that we do a disservice to people who don't believe like we do when we don't uh, engage, yeah. when we only show up and we want to point you directly to church versus relationship. So I think that it's really important for us to have those type of uh, TV shows, movies, yeah. because I love to eat and I love <laughs> right. to be like, I love to like have a good one-on-one -on -one or have a, you know, a dinner party with my friends. And we talk about a wide variety of things and we're believers. That's, so it's like, that's we it. it's not about you. It, it, we're not, it's not about pushing an agenda. It's about being authentic. 
It's Absolutely. about actually saying like, no, I'm, I'm this, but, and I'm also a person of faith and I'm going to, I want to bring that to whatever, wherever I'm sitting, whatever table I'm at. Absolutely. I think that's great. So let us know how we can support you. Right now you can sign up for my newsletter, my weekly e-letter. Um, every Sunday I write a letter from my heart to yours. Um, and it's got a quote, a question, um, and a little something extra. So you can do that on ericawilliams.com. You can sign up for that there. Um, that's also where I will let you know about the next book drop, the affirmation Yay. journal. Um, and of course you can connect with me the same way Siobhan connected with me, which is online on Instagram <laughs> or Twitter at Miss M-I-S-S-E Will. Um, so you can just follow me there. I love a good conversation. <laughs> and I loved our conversation. It was great. I would have had you on here for a whole hour. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being on the show, Erica. And make sure that you connect with her because that's what I did. I jumped in her DM. You did. <laughs> right. All right. So thank you so much. I'm your host, Siobhan Mitchell. And remember to watch the show and up.